Teaching Abroad Pod with James Davis. Hello, listener. Happy Star Wars Day, and thank you so much for joining us on this, the first anniversary edition of the Teaching Abroad Pod, coming at you on May the 4th. Uh, I'm your host, James Davis, and with me this week will be my co-hosts, Alex and Rowan from the Oxford Seminars Job Placement Service. Over the past year, we've spoken to Oxford Seminars graduates, instructors, recruiters, and even a few special guests. In today's episode, we'll take a little look back at some of our favorite moments. Uh, Rowan, have you found podcasting this past year? I've really actually enjoyed it, James. I was a bit nervous at first, I would say, and uh, even a little skeptical, honestly, about how we do, but we seem to be doing all right. We keep getting great guests. People keep coming back to our YouTube channel and onto the podcast apps to listen again every other week. So I'll keep coming back every other week with uh, my friends here and yeah, why not keep it going? How about you, Alex? Yeah, I've really enjoyed it too. I'm a big podcast fan and listener myself. So it's kind of nice to make your own little contribution to the, to the genre. And it's been like a lot of fun learning experiences. So yeah, I've really enjoyed it. What about you, James? I think um, that, you know, as I mentioned at the start, we've had, we have had a lot of different guests, but for me, I want to highlight the graduates and instructors that we've uh, spoken to along the way. You know, it's been really interesting getting to hear their stories and just getting to know them a little bit better. I guess if I had to highlight one particular graduate, it would be Haley Kellum. We've had her a couple of times on the podcast now. She's taught in uh, Beijing. She's now in Korea. Um, she's told us some some really crazy stuff. You know, I lived in Korea for a long time, and she has done some stuff that I would never have thought of doing while in Korea. Hearing her stories, you know, it makes me think that maybe I missed some opportunities. Like, I think, uh, you know, there was some bizarre stuff out there in Korea, and I didn't find them, but but she did. So it's really nice to to hear about all the things that she got up to. Wish I'd gone to the Meerkat Cafe, James. I've never seen a Meerkat in my life. I know. Like, how do you even discover that? I don't know. But that's why we need people like Haley to find these things for us. I don't think um, there's a better cafe expert on the planet than Haley, potentially. It's a bold claim, but it's the impression I get. Yeah. No, if, if she deserves a trophy, it's expat cafe champion of Korea, I would say. She, she knows her stuff. Going back to your question, um, a lot of the the cafe scene is like unreal compared to anywhere else in the world. So I think like my favorite thing is like how unique some of the cafes are around here. And I, I would definitely highly suggest like several cafes around Seoul. I read there's one where they have sheep you can pet. Have you seen that? Yes, I've seen that, but I've not been to it. Oh, yeah. I have also seen that they have like a goat one, a goat, like a baby goat cafe. Um, yeah, it's like it's a petting insane. zoo slash cafe. Yeah, like a whole little like zoo. Um, I have gone to the meerkat cafe. So they have meerkats and raccoons and wallabies. Um, so I did go to that one. And that was really, um, it was really interesting because I don't think I've never seen a meerkat in real life until I came here. And I just didn't think that I would come to Korea and do that. So sounds like something from National Geographic. Right. Are they friendly? I can't even imagine. Uh, I thought they would just run away. They no, they are friendly and they like burrow. They try to burrow in anything. So you have to like wear a blanket all around you because they'll try to get into your clothes. 
<laughs> so gotta be careful. <laughs> um, and we really found that out too, I guess, in, she was on, was it episode 15 as well with us, where she talked about her trip to Jeju. She gave us a real breakdown of different sites to see, cafes to visit. You've since made it to Jeju Island, which you said you were looking forward to seeing last time we spoke. So what were your highlights? Um... Oh God, what wasn't a highlight? What wasn't like a good part? I don't, um, I spent like the entire week in Jeju and I did five days in the like beach city, like Sogwipo area. Yeah, it's a very beachy. And so there was a lot of waterfalls to see and like a lot of hiking. Like I really liked that part, but I'm not really the hiking type of person. So I actually preferred the like leisure, like relaxing, fancy cafe style of, um, that's my kind of vacation, I guess. So, you know, Jeju uh, is slightly different to the rest of Korea. You know, it's a little bit more tropical. Um, did you have any culinary experiences, any nice food? So you mentioned some some Jeju cafes. What was that side of Jeju like? Well, pretty much most of the cafes are either like inland and very foresty and like nature or like on the coast. So you have like beach views everywhere really like i really just enjoy the scenery and the views for culinary experiences unfortunately i have like a very hard diet restriction i guess like i can't eat gluten it's really hard to like find foods that i can eat so usually when i go to cafes i'm only just drinking coffee i never can try any of the pastries or the desserts but I did have, since it's Jeju, it's an island and seafood is very like common. So I did try sushi and um, some seafood dishes. I love seafood, so I really like it. But a lot of people don't realize that coming from America and when you order fish, fish usually comes like, I don't know, it's like just a filet of fish. And, and here it comes like the whole fish straight out of the ocean on the plate. And so you have to pick out all the bones and things. And that's not something I was expecting when I first came to Korea. Like maybe some of my foreign friends would say like they don't like seafood really anymore because they have to pick all the bones out of the fish and stuff. But I personally don't mind. I've got quite good at it now. So It was really nice to see Haley's journey progress and, and hopefully we'll, we'll get to speak to her again in the future. If I want to highlight an instructor over the past year, I guess it has to be Brent. He's another return guest. Both episodes, he was, you know, wonderful. So Such an interesting guy. He's been everywhere. He's done everything. And he's someone that you was know, really good at just giving some, some advice about safe travel and, and how to enjoy yourself. And despite all of his wisdom, I feel like we all we wanted to know about was him teaching and drinking wine at a Czech castle. Um, so the, the, the most frequent uh, summer camp I've, I've visited, I've been there five times now, is in uh, Voltice, which is a small town in the south of the Czech Republic. I came across this job from a, a friend of a friend who had posted looking that he was looking for teachers. Uh, my friend tagged me in the post, so I responded. And he started texting me. He's like, let me call you. I'm like, okay, sure. Uh, he's like, let me explain the school. He said, it's built around music and wine. Uh, it's called Pavel's English School. And he said, your job is you teach English all day, but then uh, three nights through the week, you take your students to a wine cellar, uh, continue your English lessons and drink wine. And I was like, yep, <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's an absolutely beautiful region. Um, the, the school used to be run out of uh, Chateau Valtice, which is a, they call it a castle, but it's not like a, your typical like wartime castle. It's more of a, like a resort, like a, 
a medieval era resort, I would call it, uh, where the the uh, the royalty would go to for their summers kind of thing. Yeah. So how long would this last? So the the course you go for two weeks. Um, you go there for two weeks. They have the students come for one week each, so you have two sessions. Uh, but it's it's fantastic. I, I'm still in touch with many of the students I've taught there. Uh, we've kind of I've seen them, even most of them I've seen for one week each summer for five consecutive summers, but we've just built a, a bond and a friendship over that. It's great. Yeah, go back to episode two, definitely. Anyone who hasn't been there, just the title alone, getting paid to drink wine and teach ESL. I mean, I'm in. It sounds hyperbolic, but it's absolutely true. That's exactly what he did. And then, yeah, we spoke to him in the second ever episode. He was wonderful. We had him back again, episode 16 where we kind of discussed more of his journeys further afield. As you guys know, on the Teaching Abroad pod, it had to be about food. And he didn't disappoint by taking us through Thai cuisine and then, uh, you know, talking about all the stuff he ate in Vietnam. So move away from Europe. Is there anywhere in, in Asia, anything in particular you want to highlight as being a culinary uh, highlight for you? Ooh. I've had some excellent meals in, in most places. I mean, Thailand, Thailand, I think I would argue has the best food in the world. I've uh, the, the complexity of the flavor, the diversity of dishes is really, really good. So I'll place that pretty high, even like for 60 cents from a street vendor, you can get an amazing pad Thai, something like that. Um, we had some great pho in Vietnam. Um, there was a tiny little, this little hole in the wall pho restaurant. And they had like the, the vat they're making the soup in. And we, we went back there I would say five or six times. Like we went there once, like, this is amazing. So we kept going back um, and we asked them about it, you know, and that cauldron of soup has been continuously boiling since the 1940s. <laughs> they have been cooking and they just keep adding water and keep adding new ingredients. And that's how they say they get the richness of flavor. This, you never clean it. You never empty it. You just keep adding, keep adding, keep adding. And I was like that, like, where else am I going to get an experience like that? Um, you know, this, this, this soup's been literally simmering for 50 years. <laughs> uh, so, that, yeah, that was an incredible, uh, incredible dish. And, and again, literally, like, it maybe could seat six people in there, um, just little plastic stools, and, like, you could easily miss it. And we just lucked out that we happened to go to that one. And, and I'm sure maybe there's others that we missed that were just as good, but that sticks in my mind for sure. I want to go back to Hanoi so badly. <laughs> I, for me, that's my favorite food. I think uh, Vietnamese is just unbelievable. It is. Uh, it is like they they and they do so many like like they do their the soups and things very well. Noodle dishes, of course. Uh, but then because of the the French colonial interest in uh, influence, uh, like sandwiches, like banh like the they make excellent bread and fantastic coffee. Like it's 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 very different than than the rest of Southeast Asia in that way. I find uh, or I think um, like. Most places I went in Asia, the coffee was okay, but in Vietnam, it's amazing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do you feel about egg coffee, though? It was a unique experience. I quite <laughs> like it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it was it was neat to watch the whole process, and that sort of like the almost like a custard curdled custard, I guess it turns yeah. into. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> Big thanks yeah. to Brent for for being such a wonderful guest. Rowan, do you have any particular highlights from the past year? I guess uh, for me, and I was so ecstatic when I got the email back where this guest said, sure, I'll, I'll jump on your pod with you. Um, yeah, Ross Revliati, the first ever Canadian Olympic snowboard champion. Uh, he was on way back in January, January 26th release, episode 21. 
Yeah, just what an honor to be able to have an Olympic champion on the podcast, especially for me, because, you know, growing up, I was big into skiing a little bit of, not that I was very good at it, but freestyle, you know, jumps and moguls and all that kind of stuff. Um, And then to have a snowboarder of his caliber, talking about his experience on the tour abroad, and then his sort of rise to glory in Nagano 98, and then, I guess, somewhat fall from grace with the... um, drug charge in Japan where pot was not such a an accepted pastime hearing him tell that story of you know winning and being in jail and then flying to LA to be on Leno and all of that quite enthralling to hear it from the horse's mouth my first race on the world cup tour I got 80th right and I was like champion back home right and so it was a huge wake-up call and, and a big uh learning curve for me to I was just, I wasn't, I was almost not good enough to be there, basically. But right away, visually, I was able to see very quickly what everybody was doing differently than I was. And I was on a pro team with coach and setting gates and courses every day and riding with other top-notch riders um, on my team too, traveling with them around the world. So within, you know, one year, I made the podium. Was that the point where the Olympics were on the horizon and then that became your your big professional goal? So all along snowboarding was applying to the IOC to become an Olympic event or an Olympic sport. But not until 94 did they announce to us that in 98, we would be a, a full medal event. Just quickly wondering, after that big win, you were kind of a media darling for a while there. How did that feel to be like in the spotlight after that? It was pretty incredible. I was a little bit um, or a lot distracted by the controversy of the whole positive weed thing. And, you know, obviously, and then going to L.A. from I, I literally flew from Tokyo to L.A. to do the Tonight Show with Jay Leno. And right at the L.A. airport, Customs already had an issue with me and they weren't al- they were already considering not letting me in to go to the Tonight Show. But I was already like visually recognizable in los angeles by by wow. the next by the next day like i showed up at the beverly hilton that night and just tourists coming out of the hotel were recognizing me like you're the snowboarder you know from nagano we just saw you on tv like two days ago or whatever it was and meanwhile i'd been in jail right like they they put me in jail you know and were processing me before because they took my medal away and then in between when they took it away and gave it back, like I went to jail, right? They weren't gonna. You're and then, actually in a jail cell in Japan. In, in Nagano. That was, and, that was a real highlight for me to have sort of a, a childhood hero or at least a teenage hero, I guess. Uh, someone I really admired and looked up to growing up to be talking to him. But you, Alex? Yeah, that Ross episode reminds me of, seems to be if the guests are doing all the talking, then you've done your job. Well, and it's funny because a lot of people, some people are a bit more nervous to come on and want to prepare and other people are really happy to just speak off the cuff. We've had some schools and recruiters on, so not just teachers and people thinking about teaching. And we had one guest, Madeline Moon from Teacher Tech Recruiting, Recruits for Korea. And Madeline was the kind of guest where I think she was a bit nervous. She wanted to prepare some answers ahead of time. We had to kind of coax her on, but she just did a really wonderful job. Uh, she's got almost three decades of experience in the industry, talked about 
the development of the ESL industry over the past three decades in Korea and sort of how it's matured and what she's seen and all those years of experience told some great stories. And then also it was just interesting because like Korean pop culture is having such a moment last year or two in the zeitgeist with the like K-pop music and movies and TV shows that we've all been watching and, and loving. So it was interesting just to have her perspective on sort of being in the middle of something of a culture when it's kind of just having its moment. And uh, I'm sure that's driving more and more interest in teaching in Korea. We couldn't stop talking about Squid Game for, for a couple episodes there. Yeah, we weren't the only ones. So we've talked a lot about teaching in Korea and how it's such a popular teaching destination. And you've talked about how the industry has grown and matured. But another thing that I'm, I'm thinking maybe is part of a factor is just the rise of pop culture and how, you know, yeah. how much Korean culture has entered pop culture yes. and music and all the famous ways. And food is a big part of that. You know, it's crazy. First, you know, talk about a little bit of the pop culture. Like when I growing up, did I even again imagining this is going to happen? People's gonna watch Korean TV drama in the United States, like a Squid Game, Parasite, like you name it, like you know. So yeah, that's just really crazy, and I feel like just being Korean is kind of almost the hip right now. <laughs> and then yeah, the Korean this is. I mean, there's so many obviously, and seems like there's like a lot of even new kind of food like you know a lot of it with like you know cheese and you know like even tteokbokki is melted with cheese ramen with melted with cheese you know <laughs> corn dog hot dog with melted cheese i think those are kind of new things that people crazy about it i mean i think of food there's so many different flavors so many dishes you can try and you can find things that you like even if you are not a big fan of spicy there's plenty of choices even if these days a lot of people are actually vegetarian, you know, gluten-free. I mean, Korean food can be very vegetarian friendly, you know, gluten-free friendly because we don't really eat bread as a, you know, basic food. Yeah. But actually my favorite food is really dumpling. <laughs> I feel embarrassed because one of my favorite things is what you talked about at the beginning and it's cheese raw pokey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is, it's very childish, but it's so delicious. And then another recent recruiter we had uh, was Phil from ESL Starter based in the UK. And I thought Phil's story was interesting just because he started off as an ESL teacher in Thailand. And that was just sort of a change from a sort of humdrum desk job back in the UK. Just um, so I decided to, to take a TEFL course, uh, which I took up in Newcastle in the UK. After that course, I looked for some jobs on the internet. Um, I applied for a job in Thailand and I actually got the, the job without any interview or, or any kind of contact with the school apart from a, an initial sending of the CV. So yeah, I was kind of a little bit flummoxed. I didn't know if it was a real genuine job or if it was, you know, what, what to expect, but I did uh, accept and then went over to teach in Thailand. So, so yeah, it was, it, and it was fantastic. You know, it was absolutely brilliant job, really enjoyed it. Um, so I would definitely do the same thing again if I had my uh, chance over again. Uh, did you teach anywhere else besides Thailand or was Thailand the only spot you taught? Yeah, I did actually. So I spent five years in Thailand, about two years altogether in South Korea, and then one year teaching in Taiwan. So how did you make the move into international teacher recruiting? Yeah, so I was teaching in Thailand, actually, and the, the principal of the school at the time asked me to find a couple of teachers to come in to, to replace myself and my wife who were teaching at the school. 
Uh, so we did a little bit of promotion on the internet. We actually found two teachers to come and, and take those roles on. And that just gave us the idea to, to kind of contact a few uh, private schools in Korea. So it was, yeah, it was really, really fortunate but you know it's been really enjoyable as well so i think it's one of those stories where going overseas to teach to travel it is an adventure and you never really know where it's going to lead and uh, i don't think phil set off for thailand thinking he'd be one day be a, a recruiter but lo and behold that's what happened so yeah another interesting story thank you uh guys for sharing your highlights with me and the listeners we say at the end of every episode, and, and you know, perhaps people don't get there all the time. You know, I'm certainly guilty of skipping the, the ending of podcasts sometimes. But if you do have anyone that you think we should speak to, or you, you think you know, we need more of a certain type of guest, do get in touch with us. You can reach us on social media, at Oxford Seminars on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or you can email us directly at teachingabroadpod at oxfordseminars.com. Don't be shy. You know, reach out to us because uh, we'd love to hear from you and we hope to uh, have some more amazing guests over the next year and beyond so with that thank you very much alex thank you very much rowan thanks to our producer cat and thank you listener for tuning in to the teaching abroad pod where we release episodes every other wednesday may the fourth be with you